0: Hello, and welcome to the Friday Reporter. I'm Lisa Camuso Miller, your host, and proud to be partnering with PR Daily, because PR Daily is a tremendous resource for communicators, not only for tactics and tools that make us smarter at what we do, but also for conferences and events that can help us connect with others who are doing what we uh, do every day. And that's why I'm really looking forward to November 17th. They're hosting a conference called The Future of Communications, partnering with Raggin Communications. You can find out more about it on prdaily.com. In fact, you can also get $100 off your registration if you use the code FRIDAYREPORTER. Well hi and thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday reporter podcast today's guest is Marcus Weisgerber with defense one and for those of you who don't know about defense one you're about to learn all about it Marcus so good to have you today
1: thanks for having me Lisa
0: so uh Marcus for you know for most for the most part our folks here inside of DC know the power and the tremendous reporting that you're doing there at defense one. But for the purposes of those who are listening from maybe uh, other parts of, of town or maybe other parts of the country or the globe, wherever they are, would you tell me a little bit about the, the genesis for defense one, how it's come together? Um, Give me a sense of sort of what the publication is about, how big it is, that kind of thing, if you can.
1: Sure. Well, so Defense One has only been around for about eight years now, and I've been with about seven. Mm-hmm. And the way I like to describe Defense One to people is we're kind of, we kind of straddle the line between a trade publication and a general interest publication. Mm-hmm. So for me as a reporter, that's great because I could get as high in the clouds as I want, or as deep in the weeds as I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, Defense One was born um, uh, by Atlantic Media, the former, uh, publisher of the Atlantic mm-hmm. uh, as a kind of a national security repository for all of Atlantic media's brands defense coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they felt that there was something missing in the defense coverage uh, uh, in the conversation between again those uh, the general interest level and the trade level and defense one really I feel and others feel hit hit that kind of that sweet spot Mm -hmm. and so over time we've uh we've actually grown a lot in the last six months specifically we've we were uh it only launched with um the joke uh, last week we actually had a a dinner with the whole staff for pretty much the first time uh, since the pandemic Mm -hmm. and um the joke was that it started with one and two and a half people because we had uh, an editor-in-chief who's Kevin Barron Mm -hmm. and and a managing deputy managing editor at the time and then a uh uh, an atlantic media fellow which is basically um somebody who's just out of college who who has is in their first journalism job and from there we've we've grown i was part of uh probably the second slash third wave of hires uh to the point now where we're about uh 10 editorial uh staff members which from that you know Two and a half one and a half back back in the day it's it, it's grown a lot and you know we've um w- although we're no longer owned by Atlantic media we were sold about a year ago to a private equity firm David Bradley who was the uh, ch- uh, chairman of Atlantic media he he's still I believe an investor mm-hmm. in our current uh, ownership structure wow so um but no we're, we're still we're we're, we're still uh, doing really well we're we're seeing it. We're seeing um, engagement in what we write about and uh, being um, what at the, tra- at the time I remember the big buzzword they were using was we're a digital media company. So, you know, what, what does that mean? Right. Um, I, I always, as the reporter in me, I'm always like, well, that just means we don't have to totally rely on clicks and advertising for, for revenue. And now we have other streams of revenue within our company and there's a research arm of our company. And um, we have a very, very, very big events, uh, team now where we're doing events seemingly constantly sure and especially yeah. with the, the shift to virtual events and such mm-hmm. um that has become a very very popular thing for us and it's still it seems like we've really pulled ahead of um a lot of our uh, competitors in this area mm-hmm. uh just do the, <laughs> the, the the level that just the quantity and the quality of uh of what we're doing okay.
0: 10 editorial staff to me still sounds very lean and you guys punch way above your weight. I would have thought that there were far more just because you guys do such a tremendous job of really sort of helping uh, readers understand the issues. It's really in-depth, very thoughtful reporting. I mean, it's how we became uh, colleagues. We've worked together a little bit on some of the coverage that you yourself have generated, but how... How how did you get started? How did you get started in this beat? Tell me a little bit about your background and how it how it is you came to be a journalist for for Defense One.
1: So, being a journalist was never ever uh, on my mind as a kid growing up, high school, and even when I went away to college. I always had uh, dreams of being uh, an engineer um i was always uh, in school strong in math and sciences and writing was probably one of my least favorite things no kidding yeah uh, i and and i went to college i went to the university of new hampshire i was uh, in the engineering program i was an undeclared engineering major with a a thought which i wanted to go into civil engineering and i remember being in a it was uh, one of these one of the engineering classes you know, that was compi- uh, c- compounded with, you know, physics and calculus and chemistry and all these classes I can't believe I even took. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I-, I remember they were talking about uh, bridges and um, the support beams on bridges and stresses in certain areas. And I remember saying to myself, I really don't care much about the stress on this beam, yeah. which is probably not a good thing for an engineer. Probably not. Bridge because the bridge is going to fall down right. and collapse. Right. Right. You know, this is one be of those rough. critical
0: things you're supposed to care about if you right. go into that line of so, work. So,
1: um, yeah. So I, I ended up, um, I ended up. I, uh, so once something happened,, uh, it was my sophomore year of of uh, college, uh, and that something that happened was September eleventh. and okay, I was taking, uh, I had just gone un- undeclared, uh, just undeclared major, and uh, I took a creative writing class. Mm-hmm. So, and one of the things we had to do was write a news story. and I knew about to write a story, but I knew I had to interview people, and I knew that at the time i'm I'm from Long Island, uh, had a lot of uh, friends and family were um very closely eff- affected by the events of september 11th sure, yeah. i remember going home at i think it was thanksgiving and you know it, no one wanted you know i had a lot of questions about you know what people went through and stuff like that but mm-hmm. no one talked about it. no one wanted to talk about it at all it was just like you know oh so and so was you know in in the subway underneath the world trade center or someone so mm. was working next door and had to you know care, help carry people away mm-hmm. and it was like well, why aren't we talking to these people about this this is really interesting like i want to tell their stories so for my my news story assignment i interviewed a couple of folks who were uh, involved fr- mm. friends, uh, friends and friends of friends and family and i found they all really wanted to share their stories but no one wanted to talk to them about it interesting so i ended up um that was a real long-winded way of saying it. I ended up declaring a, uh, my major as journalism. Took journalism classes, did a number of journalism internships um, back in New York. I interned uh, twice at Newsday on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, I then, um, I then uh, did an internship in Biddeford, Maine at a local newspaper my uh, senior year of college. How fun. All that to come back to Long Island and uh, kind of get a part-time job at Newsday where I was doing web stuff which in 04 wasn't really, you know, wasn't a huge, a huge deal. Like uh, with the news, they had a great website right. and they always were way ahead of the curve. I thought of what, you know, other publications were doing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I, and they were doing video and audio and stuff oh, interesting. on the website mm-hmm. 20 years ago, pretty much. And so I learned a lot. I learned a lot there. Um, I ended up then going back to New Hampshire, working for a daily newspaper called Foster's Daily Democrat in Dover, mm-hmm. New Hampshire. I worked there for about a year and a half. I did. Um, I covered uh, cops and courts and education and just oh, general interesting time reporting. You know, mm-hmm. stuff of stuff from you know people getting arrested to people to like a cow being stuck on the ice and the mother cow like moving at baby cow, <laughs> which yes is a real story I wrote <laughs> way back when. Yeah,
0: it's all part of and, uh, it's all part uh, of your it story. A, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and
1: it was, it was standing in snow up to my knees. You know that that was that oh was the, that was when I basically said I need to get out of here. Yeah, and um. I got a job in DC at inside defense in Mm -hmm. 2006 and I knew nothing about covering the military really. Wow. They, they, you know, they, they, they're known for hiring people with reporting skills and, you know, you training you and how to uh, navigate Washington. Mm -hmm. And they did that. And I, I spent, I spent a while there. Some folks, you know, tend to spend one to three years. I spent five years there, but I ended up editing one of the publications focusing on the air force before uh, going to Defense News, where I covered the Pentagon and the leadership of the military. So that's at the point, you know, um, going from covering um, money and budgets and acquisition and stuff to now going to cover the leadership and kind of their policy priorities, uh, getting to travel around the world, with the defense secretary and senior officials. And that leads up to 2014 when I came to Defense One, where pretty much I have the very similar beat to what I had. I, I pretty much have always been, since i've been in washington for now 15 and a half years covered the money with the pentagon spending its money on who it's spending its money with and,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and defense companies specifically so i have a i have a kind of unique beat there's no, there are really only a handful literally a handful of us uh with that specific uh beat in town so it's uh which is it, baffling it's good from uh being able to write about impactful stuff and actually have influence on policymaking.
0: Right. But it's baffling to me that it's such a small universe of folks like yourself that cover this specific area because they the contracting business is it is the it's it's the company. I mean, it, it is that is one of the things that makes this, you know, the, the makeup of the company town that we live in. Right. You've got people that work on the hill. You've got people that are contractors that support the government. And one of the biggest uh, contract areas is with the defense department so that's tremendous to me that here you are you know amongst these uh this small elite group of writers that are covering it because it really is something that people really do care about i mean you know we you and i remember back to the time when we were just sort of coming up into this space where people talked about how much a hammer cost you know hundreds of thousands of dollars for a hammer or whatever it was but that really is as simple as that little story was that really is sort of Uh, one way to sort of point to the business that is, um, the defense department and the, and the work that's been done there. And I enjoy your coverage so much because it really is that intersection between the business of, of covering and, and defending the nation, but also this tremendous, um, sense and and set of companies that, that support it and how that all comes together. I mean, you tell some tremendous stories about, um, having been with the defense secretary or having, you know, gone to a, um, uh, aircraft carrier and some of these other tr- amazing things that you do in your, in your space that you cover. Um, can you tell me, is there a specific story that you think back to and just really enjoyed covering? Is there something in particular that stands out to you as, uh, one that you really were happy to do, or is there just Tell me a little bit about the coverage. What what kinds of things is it that uh, that really light you up?
1: So I, I have two for you, and one is kind of on my Washington time, and one is kind of before my Washington time, but does involve the military. Mm. Uh, the, the the first is just, and it's just kind of become you know kind of the story that everyone um, has looked for me to cover, and that's simply anything that happens with Air Force One. Mm. Um, I, I've always been interested you know every, everyone has uh, just everyone from the the washington folk are interested in air force one just due to the sheer cost of it two planes that roughly you know cost 2.5 billion dollars each mm. uh and then cost a fortune to actually operate you know fly around the world and you know, everything involved in that mm-hmm. um and then from you know the the just the general reader perspective they're they're just fascinated because it's this you know plane that the president flies on and it's you know a symbol of the united states and you know where where it goes people take note and uh you know this there's been this effort underway for pretty much almost almost i'd say close to to 15 plus years i've been doing this to actually replace the current two airplanes that serve as air Mm -hmm. force one the president flies on them right and it, it you know uh, the, the, probably the first ten years or so were just a lot of behind-the-scenes bureaucratic work of you know, the, you know, what what do we want these planes to do? Like, what what do we, do we want to be inside of them? And mm-hmm. that's stuff like you know, do we need an operating room inside of it? And you know, what kind of uh, what's the quality of the video that will be transmitted if the president wants to say ad- address the nation? Can we get full full HD video? And this these are literally conversations that were were had over the last fifteen years huh. in terms of replacing these planes. It it really got elevated during the last administration, former President Trump, when he was, you know, tweeting about how he was negotiating with Boeing and the cost of the planes being being too too much money. Mm-hmm. So in, in the midst of my reporting, I, I came to find out that, um, you know, one in a way in a, in a in a way, and um, excuse me, in, a, in an attempt to lower the prices of the planes, uh, Boeing had built two planes, two 747 jetliners for a, a Russian airline that went bankrupt and the planes were just kind of parked in the desert
2: Interesting. out Interesting. in
1: California where, and, you know, in a bone, what they call boneyard, where they basically store the planes out in the desert because there's no humidity. So they yeah. can be preserved if they, if somebody ever wants to buy them. So basically they went and the, the air force went and bought kind of the leftover prior model year plane that was sitting out, sitting out in the back of, uh, back of the dealership, you know, in the, in the, in the back of a lot. No kidding. And yeah, I I broke that story and that kind of really, uh, you know, increased the visibility of my coverage on this. So I bet it did, dude. I get to, to do a History Channel documentary about air about Air Force One a few years ago, which was really really a neat experience. Oh,
0: I gotta go back and watch it. I didn't even know.
1: Yeah, it, <laughs> sitting sitting in a room for three hours answering questions about. <laughs> answering all sorts of questions for literally like three minutes worth of action. Oh, that's always the case every, though. I'm it was sure. A long day, but and it was you probably had to study
0: hilarious. for weeks in advance to be smart enough to be able to answer all those questions too. It's a big time, yeah. big time commitment.
1: Yeah. So, so that's kind of the one on, on the beat now. It's been, that's been fun. I mean, a, a, a lot of what I write about has, has does have an impact because one, I guess the, the, the cost of it and kind of the decisions that are made mm-hmm. and, um, but behind, you know, why the Pentagon is choosing to ask for money about X, Y, or Z is is, is, is totally important as well. But uh, the other story I want to tell you about was back actually when I was in New Hampshire at mm-hmm. the news, the Daily Newspaper up there. And that was um, in 2005, I got to cover Hurricane Katrina, the aftermath of Hurricane oh, Katrina, yeah. and embed with the National Guard and go spend some time in New Orleans uh, you know, just a few weeks after the storm hit. I remember going to my editor at the time on the day the storm was hitting and I said, so uh, can I go down there? And she kind of laughed at me and and then said, you know, well, if you could find a way, somebody to take you. Um, And it's uh, with the implied, you know, basically, is this how much is this going to cost us? And uh, is it going to be worth our while? Like, how will it benefit our readers? Sure. And sure enough, the National Guard was going to go. And they said, yeah, sure, we'll take you. Just be at the uh, National Guard base on Saturday at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, so sure enough, um, I was paired with a photographer from one of the other. Um, it was a, fa- it was a, at the time the paper was family owned paper. I don't, I don't think it's family owned anymore, but they owned several newspapers and they paired me with their best photographer. And him and I, you know, met. Right, <laughs> we met like the day before, and wow. Uh, next thing you know, we're on a we're on an Air Force uh, tanker flying down to New Orleans, and uh, it was right around when they uh, the the. The city of new orleans uh was starting to reopen Mm -hmm. um there were the there was like the eighth and ninth wards i believe where where the majority of the the really bad flooding was but the rest of the city was also still flooded and Mm -hmm. whatnot and it was and it was basically shut down and uh it was a real it was a real interesting story because it was you know you had a bunch of soldiers who we were with soldiers and airmen Mm-hmm. who had been at the time, you know, deployed to Iraq, I think the unit, the unit we were specifically with had been deployed recently to Iraq. So they were one happy not to be in Iraq anymore, but sure. they were also happy to be helping people happy to be helping, you know, and, and helping, uh, you know, Americans who were very, very, very appreciative that they were there. So I bet. a lot of it was just driving around and handing out food mm-hmm. uh, to people, you know, meals ready to eat the, that you know, food that stays well for you know, three, four years you could eat it for three or four years right, because it's right, all preserved. Right, sure. And um they I mean everything they they were helping people um, you know, go through family heirlooms, uh, jewelry, stuff like that in their house. Oh, they wow! Were pushing open doors that could were so swelled from the water and because they'd expanded and plus it was just so hot and humid down there. Oh, yeah. I remember it just being the weather being absolutely you know, it was it didn't we got lucky it didn't really rain. I think it rained a little but not a lot, but it was just so thick.
0: So humid. Yeah. Right, right cuz um, everything is so so wet. Right.
1: And it was it was just a great story to tell. We told a lot of stories about the the soldiers and airmen we were with. We told stories of the people who we encountered down there. Um and you know, it was just a little a little snapshot in, you know, in, into a sto- one of many 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 stories that, you know, came out of
0: But you um, made it relevant. That, you, you made know, it relevant tragedy. for the local paper. Like this is these are obviously um folks that are serving that are, you know, in New Hampshire. So you can tell the story about, you know, how the local people that are, you know, dedicating their time and their, uh, their lives to, to the recovery effort. And that's tremendous. I'm so fortunate for you to be able to do that too. Oh,
1: so, totally. Yeah. And, and, and that was exactly, and that, and that's exactly it. That was, that was, that was our, our, our mission was to, you know, tell stories about people from our readership. And mm-hmm. I remember, it was also the first time I really actually got to do um, some feature writing because I I, I want to hate it doing feature writing in school. I was always like hard news, uh, you know. That, that, that I was always re- I was good at that, but like feature stories, I never you know I I just didn't like. I yeah. didn't like the fluff, if you
0: will. Sure, no, it is, and it is a little bit. Mm-hmm.
1: And, but it was a great experience. I mean, I, I I had I had a great editor at the time who was, um, you know, a line editor at the who was a you know, copy editor who I would file to, and we we were an afternoon paper back then. Which I was talking to somebody uh, at that dinner I referenced earlier with our mm. staff, uh, who had also been at an afternoon paper, and uh, g- 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 working for an afternoon paper, I feel is like a, a you know, something that's people don't I don't even know I wonder how many papers are even afternoon papers anymore but basically you have to go in at Mm -hmm. like four o'clock and five o'clock in the morning and you'd work like these split shifts where you're covering town meetings and stuff at night and then and then you know everything and then you basically were trying to write whatever the competition the morning newspaper had that we didn't have so you'd have to try to match their stories right right immediately which was incredibly incredibly difficult so um, I had a great editor though when I was down there. Who would he'd call me at like you know, five o'clock in the morning, and be like, "Okay, I read your story. Here, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what, here, here's." And he, he really helped me uh, work on my writing. I, oh, that's like, awesome. Learned years later, from a friend who was um, who was still up there, that they were still using those stories when they do workshops with reporters of like, how, you know, good good ways to, to localize, you know, national.
0: Awesome. Stories. Oh, that's so, a compliment to you too. Then yeah. that's fantastic. No, that's so great. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, here in town, we're lucky enough to have reporters like you who have spent time in the local bureaus for local newspapers covering local stories. And that, I think, is what makes the coverage that you then deliver here for Defense One so, so useful is that. You know how to how to make it relatable. So as big as it is, you're covering a big company like a Boeing or a you know you name it. There's so many here, um, and you're covering the work that they're doing, but you're also making it relevant because people can identify with the stories. They understand what's happening. They know what it is the Defense Department does to keep you know to be, keep the U.S. and um, you know to keep us safe all across the globe. So that's fantastic. Marcus, tell me a little bit about. Um, as you look ahead, what kinds of things you know? The, my listenership is filled with communications people like myself who identify reporters like you and say, "Oh, I think I might have something that's interesting to Marcus." Like what kinds of what kinds of stories, what kinds of pitches are are landing for you that 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 are useful?
1: So um, I, I was uh, so uh, when I was doing my homework for uh, for being on this, I was listening to uh, mm-hmm. another journalist talk about getting the. Uh, getting pitches about like handbags or something uh, (laughs) from from, uh, California or whatever. And my latest one like that is getting, uh, I get pitched for these uh, shipping container pools, which led me down a a 30 minute uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube uh, trap of trying to find out (laughs) what, what these shipping container pools are and how do you build a pool out of a shipping container? It's actually really neat, but it has absolutely zero relevance to anything I do. Right. But I do get, i do get <laughs> weekly emails about shipping container pools that you know that that are i guess are pretty cool but um it, it needs to so, so I, I try to make make it so i i get a lot of pitches i get about. a lot of pitches and a lot of them are about um you know very detailed in the weeds uh type of things mm-hmm. uh, microelectronics in like in a in a you know, a major uh, def- weapon that's mm-hmm. made by a bigger company. Um, th- that, uh, To be frank, that that type of stuff does not interest me at all. We actually own a publication called NextGov that focuses, and I'm, they don't even really focus on that, but they focus on I- IT and tech and tech in the defense space. It's a, They're a bit more in the weeds than we are. Um, I, I, one, I, I like it if somebody actually like does their homework before they, they actually pitch yeah. me and they know what I write about. Mm-hmm. I get so many... Uh like I said, I get so many. Uh, and what we're, case in point, I get, I get emails from one agency, and they always address it to Mark. Hi, Mark. I have never gone by the name Mark in my life. My dad actually is named Marcus, and he has always been Mark, and I've been Marcus, so we can, my mom can
2: differentiate the two you us.
1: But it's something so simple as just look at my Twitter, look at my LinkedIn, look at, right. look at my, our website. Right. I've never... I've never gone by this, and mm-hmm. my friends don't even. I have one friend who 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 calls me that, and he's really the only one right. who's allowed to call me that. <laughs> right, <laughs> but,
0: but that's an immediate um, that they, they they you stop right there. Like you see that it says Mark, and it's like goodbye. They they don't they've lost you already just by getting your mm-hmm. name wrong. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. and I hope I hope that agency is listening because sometimes they actually there are actually two people from that agency who email me. And I only email the one who calls me Marcus back. This oh, is terrible that I'm actually admitting this, but
0: <laughs> no. But you know, but I think it's I think it's important for people to know. I think names are really important. In fact, f- for many of the even the guests that I have on the show, like if if I didn't know the proper way to pronounce their name, I always want to make sure I get it right um, because I, that matters. It matters. It's a small thing, but it matters to people hearing their name is important and hearing it hearing it said right is also important but i gotta believe that there's if somebody called me leslie and that was the intro to the email i i can't read after that it's completely distracting it's got to go in the in the trash bin
1: (laughs) or if they include the name of like one of your competitors who you know, they clearly emailed just before you, or they were supposed to email right after oh, you. Right. Oh, to Change the name. The mistaken changed. cut and paste.
0: <laughs> oh gosh, that's yeah, tragic that, too. Yes,
1: that happens. That happens. Um, but no, I do like when people just take the take the time to actually know what I write about, and you know, I, I, frankly, the, the 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 people like you, like uh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my head of two or, or two or three uh, uh, other folks, not not at companies, but who you know work. For multi, who work for agencies or run their own shops and represent a lot of people they, they know what i write about they know the how what how defense one will cover it and i think that's the uh, I, I think that's that, that's very important mm-hmm. also and this is something that's really gotten me late i'll have people pitch me but then they'll tell me another publication is going to have the exclusive on this. But then I could be the next person to write about it. Oh, and it, yeah. it's not, it, it'd be things that we technically we probably wouldn't have even written about in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, like, don't we, we try to differentiate our coverage. We try not to write what everybody else is writing. Right. So don't don't, don't tell me you're going to be able to like give me a story you know, two days after somebody else writes the right. I'm writes so glad story. you said that I'm so, because
0: that, to that's maddening because, that. because clients will say that too. Like, Hey, let's get it to this guy first and then you can give it to that person next. And I was like, that's silly. No, you, if you're going to give someone an exclusive, you give them the exclusive and then you put out your press release and be done with it. Um, one more question on this topic and then we'll, we'll sort of scoot along to that. We're getting up to 30 minutes, but I'm curious because a lot of times I have to believe that you get pitched by competitors So if company A is competing with company B for a piece of work or, you know, a piece of contract um, I am curious, do you see that as unappealing because it's just competition between two companies? Like if, unless there's some sort of scandal involved with it, um, do you hear from companies that are pitching you and they're pitching you a story that obviously would make their competitor look bad?
1: Does that make sense? Well, I think, yeah no and, and i i think that you know what it's on me as the reporter to make sure you know that obviously validate and verify mm-hmm. uh the information that 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 they're giving me and obviously make sure if it's critical or not to go to the other company or whoever right. else and be like okay this is coming out there i mean shoot i think back to i have uh there's a um a communications person at one of the you know top big five defense companies who um i remember uh, company X sent me uh, some uh, paper, uh, some, uh, it was legal briefs, uh, which I knew had never re- read and it was about an a ongoing legal battle about uh, buying, um, it was heli- buying helicopters, mm-hmm. the Air Force was buying helicopters and there was this big fight about it and this uh, company, the company sent me, you know, s- select pages from this document mm-hmm. and they kept telling me these are court documents so basically you can cite them because they're court documents what they didn't tell me was it was you know their lawyer's argument in their court documents but oh. they tried to make it look like it was actually the court saying this mm-hmm. and i had i ended up meeting i didn't know very well the other company whose product or helicopter was being disparaged and this person had just gotten off a plane and this was you know before we had wi-fi readily available on the planes and mm-hmm. he called me from the airport on his phone, the second he landed and said, listen, I, I I can't, you know, you have to make the decision on what you have, cause, but I can tell you, I'll give you the full brief that, that you're reading. I'll give you the whole thing if you can give me a day because I have to get our lawyers to agree to give it to you. Yeah. And sure enough, he did that and he got me, he got me his lawyers on the phone and it actually, it, 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 it did turn into a story, but it certainly wasn't the story that was presented.
0: Not me. the one, right, exactly, so, not the one that was being so, pitched.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you one, one, real quick. One of the other, one of the other pet peeves I have these days mm-hmm, is that a lot of companies and a lot of PR folks want to do interviews on background or off the record. Mm. And you know, it, it, you know, I obviously I don't, you know, like giving up your questions, but I'm happy to always talk topics with folks ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's perfectly fair. Um, but then they want to like, rev- like, okay, we need to negotiate quotes and stuff like that, and. <laughs> in in some cases that that might be I, you know i i don't like doing that but mm-hmm. it you know might be wor- worth it if it's somebody who's incredibly rare you know, tough, difficult to get on the record or i don't know what right but but it, it's it, in reality all it does is mean that i am likely not going to write about that because something else is going to come up between now and the time it takes me to even with using like an automated transcription service and getting the getting the you know the transcript turned around pretty quickly Mm -hmm. it still takes time to do that and you know you're uh you know there's (laughs) i'm thinking specifically to a couple of uh of those i did within the last two months that i still haven't written about because they're still on the shelf you you haven't gotten to them yep beginning Mm -hmm. of august what happened what happened the week after i did this afghanistan and then all of a sudden my colleagues and i run afghanistan for two plus weeks Mm -hmm. of coverage nonstop, literally around the clock and then I took a week's vacation and then Congress comes back and then here we are.
0: Right. Right. And that's, I mean, that's, and that's good advice, I think, because there are a lot of people that think let's have an, first off off the record I've tried to explain over and over again is not helpful to someone like you because you can't use any of it. So it's not a really good use of your time. A background conversation with someone who is very close and maybe trying to protect their identity might make sense provided you can also offer up someone that can talk on the record. Um, So that's interesting and that's good perspective and good for good for folks to hear. Um, but so as we get to the end of our conversation, Marcus, and this is the Friday reporter. So I always like to ask people cause we're all living here inside the beltway. Um, what kinds of things are keeping you busy on the weekends? What kind of hobbies, what kinds of, what kinds of activities are you up to? Well,
1: um, uh, what, four years ago, my wife and I bought a 77 year old row house in Alexandria. So we have, mm-hmm. I have, I have, um, I've always enjoyed home improvement and that's especially amid the pandemic that has been one of my, my go-tos is uh, tinkering with things ar- around the house and fixing things, everything from rebuilding our back stairs off of our porch mm-hmm. uh, to adding electrical outlets and stuff I never thought I'd do, but YouTube's amazing in what it can that's tell you to
0: do. That's awesome be. and it's um, a great investment in our community too because I'm here also in, in <laughs> town. <laughs> I mean, I think we're all yeah. sort of benefiting from those those efforts.
1: So and I mean other than that I, I, I still play ice hockey although I haven't played in uh, about two years now uh, due to a pandemic and some other factors but mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'm also a new dog dad over the last year I've never had a pet growing up aside from a goldfish so I've uh, I've uh, grown to absolutely love having. A puppy. Although awesome. I think she just barked a little bit ago, and you were able to. That's okay. I have a dog who background. often is. She often is
0: a featured in the podcast, so that's good. I love. We love dogs. These are all the things that are accepted during pandemic. What kind of dog did you get? Yeah.
1: And then rooting for my horrible New York sports teams, but uh, mm. my hockey team is doing well the last few years. And, uh, <laughs> you know, hey, the Jets won a game this weekend, so yeah, <laughs> that doesn't yep. happen. It often. keeps you
0: coming back to them, though. Keeps you coming back. Okay, wh- what kind of dog is it?
1: Uh, she's a golden retriever. Her name is Brooklyn. She is, All right. uh, she is six, uh, 16 months old today. Okay. Um, well, happy birthday, and, Brooklyn. Yeah. So <laughs> she, she's a, she's adorable. She's just been able to, she just got spades so she can go to the dog park. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to I'll look for you in and, the dog uh, park. <laughs> oh, the dog park is phenomenal. She, she really, that takes her energy out. She doesn't bother us nearly as much anymore, uh, throughout the day that just kind of, just, you know, throw, throw, throw the ball, throw the ball. Throw the yeah. Ball. Oh, especially um, those
0: retrievers. They're so good for that. Yeah.
1: So she, she's a, she's an absolute sweetheart. Um, not always an absolute sweetheart, but for the most part, she's an absolute <laughs> sweetheart.
0: <laughs> okay. So Marcus, tell me, uh, now that we've reached the end of our conversation, is there someone that you could recommend to me as a future guest for the podcast?
1: I can. And I, I, I'm going, I'm, am i am i do not know it, about the rules on this, but my wife is also a journalist. There are no, so ones. I will recommend her. Her, uh, her name is Oriana Pollack. She writes for Politico. She covers uh, commercial aviation. She covers the airlines. She covers drones uh, uh, in the and the, the policies all around um, flying drones in, in the U.S. airspace. Awesome. Uh, she covers commercial space um, uh, and. Uh, satellites and launch and stuff like that so she, she's really 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 she, she's a really really hard working reporter i always say she's a much harder worker and working reporter than i am well said um <laughs> being married to a journalist is is great and uh horrible at the same time In that one you understand when your spouse has to work all the time mm-hmm. or when something comes up at the absolute last minute always um uh, but then the, the downside is, you know, they have to work all the time and something always is coming up with the lesson. <laughs> <So. laughs> wow. You can always, but can I, recommend, always I
0: recommend her. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to have her. I'm so, and that's the cool part about this town is that there are so many uh, power couples, partners that are just uh, doing similar work and, and there are no rules in the recommending game here on the Friday reporter. Marcus, it was a thrill to have you. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. I really enjoyed it.
0: And there you have it, another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm so glad you joined me, and I'm so glad you're looking forward to the November 17th conference with PR Daily, because I'll be there, and a moderator for one of their great panels. Discover what's on the horizon at the Future of Communications virtual conference on November 17th. Learn the strategies, tactics, tools, and technology you'll need to position yourself well just in time for your 2022 communications planning. And don't forget, Friday Reporter is the code to use to get $100 off of your registration. We'll see you next week.
1: On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America.